Well, hi, everybody. It's Kevin Stevenson. Thanks for joining me on this week's episode of I Don't Care with me, Kevin Stevenson. I want to open today's episode with some startling statistics. Only an estimated 34% of schools currently provide critical outreach services such as mental health screenings. Additionally, only 17% reported offering mental health services through accessible telehealth services in the 2021-2022 school year. And according to the nonprofit health policy research organization, KFF, the lack of mental health care is largely due to insufficient mental health professional staff coverage, inadequate access to licensed mental health professionals, and inadequate funding. So my guest today is Thomas Schaefer. Thomas is the president of Campus Clinic. And Campus Clinic is a revolutionary company offering convenient access to healthcare on school campuses. They pride themselves on creating paths to obstacle-free healthcare solutions, and they've worked with over 600 schools over the past few years. So, Thomas, welcome to I Don't Care. Yeah, it's great to be on. Thanks for having me. Hey, I appreciate you being on. And I got to tell my listeners, of course, you know, it's no surprise to you guys who listen to me and, and seen the podcast over the last four years that Thomas and I have a connection here. Thomas used to live in Keller, Texas, just north of Fort Worth, where I raised my my family, was on the school board up there for a while. And that was one of the reasons I really wanted to talk to Thomas when I got some information on uh, on Campus Clinic, because as I told him, this was kind of the, the you know, convergence of my two worlds in healthcare administration and in my former world as a recovering school board member. So, so Thomas, again, welcome to I Don't Care. Tell me a little bit about Campus Clinic. How did it get started? Yeah, yeah, thank you for giving us the opportunity to address this as well. And those statistics right out of the gates are, are pretty startling. Um, so Campus Clinic was born out of the uh, the need that arose during the pandemic. So we, I sit on the, the board of a fairly large nonprofit organization that was providing access to testing related resources during the pandemic with the goal of keeping schools open. Um, during the pandemic in California, especially, there were pretty significant mandates for testing on campus to keep kids in class. And we both know the importance of having kids learning in person, keeping schools open, keeping kids in class, absolutely critical to their development. And so that nonprofit put several hundred healthcare professionals on school campuses so that the kids and staff could get tested and stay in school. And in doing that, we did something that was um, pretty intuitive for us, you know, put the resource where the kids will use it, put it in the path of the individual and the utilization will increase. And in doing so, we, you know, kind of made a breakthrough with regards to healthcare. Um, unlocking the doors to, um, to, to putting those licensed healthcare resources on campus allowed us to see the other needs there that existed beyond COVID, beyond those testing resources. And so in, in uh, conversation with some of our superintendent friends like yourselves, they started expressing needs beyond the pandemic. Um, and we quickly knew we had to mobilize a solution for those so that we could address the existing needs right then and there for, for testing, but that we could expand so that we could perpetuate beyond the pandemic and provide a greater resource on school campuses. And so we created Campus Clinic and we started using um, 
the experience that we gained during the pandemic to uh, create fewer, uh, more opportunities and to reduce barriers to access uh, at these school campuses for healthcare. Very good. Okay, I, I, I'm gonna address the elephant in the room right up front before we get started. How, how are, is Campus Clinic funded? Mm -hmm. So we have a very innovative funding model. Most of our school district partners to gain access to healthcare services on campus are not paying anything for that service. Uh, that's a, so that makes it a very easy uh, yes decision from the board perspective. Um, but we, we fund uh, ultimately through payer, uh, through submitting claims to payers. So same way okay. as the other, other clinic. Okay. The difference is we have a um, we've we've taken ultimately healthcare has a very facility centric perspective where you put a clinic somewhere, you put a hospital somewhere, and then you put the responsibility to seek care on the patient and the parent or the, the family. And so we've pivoted, we, we move beyond this facility centric view of healthcare. And we distribute the resources out to the periphery. We put the resources where the patients are. And rather than kind of burdening them with the responsibility to seek care, we have this paradigm shift of giving or, or assigning the right to receive care and giving, delivering the care to them to where they, they are. And so we have fewer facility costs as a result. And uh, so we operate more efficiently but um, in the same kind of way that a clinic would operate by billing claims to the payers. Tell me a little bit about your staffing model. I mean, uh, do you, what, what type of, of provider do you have? What kind of hours do you typically have? I mean, is that a negotiated, you know? Yeah, so generally, um, and, and, and this is where we realize a lot of alignment, but generally clinicians wanna be working Monday through Friday, uh, nine to five, which happens be the same time the kids are in school, which happens to be the same time that parents are working. And so what traditionally happens is one of those three things give, and it's never the clinician. So the parent calls off work and they pull the kid out of school. So you reduce their instructional time and you have the parent call off work and they miss half a day or full day of work, half a day or full day of school so that they can go to the doctor or clinician's office so that they can you know, golf the weekends and have a good lifestyle. Well, our clinicians can still have a great lifestyle but their office just shifts to the school campus. And so hours are generally the same. Types of clinicians are generally the same. You've got your provider level, your nursing uh, support, you've got your physicians, your DOs, MDs. Um, same same um, qualifications. We also have therapists, licensed therapists as well. Um, uh, but but generally the, 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 the location is just the difference. And so, but to maintain a, a patient volume sufficient to support those clinicians through the, the claim volume, through the patient volume, you generally have to get someone creative about that, um, about that location. And so you're creating um, at, you know, bigger school districts, you're creating routes where these clinicians will have, uh, you know, one school on one day, another school on another day and run on this rotating basis. So you're predictable for the patients but you have enough volume across the various schools for the clinician to keep operating. Okay, another question that I have is, you know, oftentimes when, when somebody has, um, you know, health insurance, they have to designate a primary care physician. You know, is, is, that, is, is that how your model works as well? Uh, does it, can it function as an urgent care? You know, 
My, my stream of consciousness question, I hope it's not. I see uh, your hospital administration coming in. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, yeah. yeah. Of course, I went straight to yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so we uh, we don't act as a medical home traditionally. Typically, we, we collaborate and work with PCPs and medical homes to keep the patients in their medical home. Uh, we're more of you could see it as like a retail model, um, where we're more of a retail clinic, uh, which is almost in between a, a kind of an urgent care and uh, you know medical home, and so we're providing. Uh, resources within the gaps, um, access points where individuals can get certain types of care where they need it or where they can get it uh, the most. Um, and so that's that's the kind of model that we operate in. So, so you know, looking at an article that, you, that you've written, there's really the four aspects of, of this. Uh, let's, let's go one by one. Improving accessibility to primary care. I mean, you know, that's something that we on the hospital side, we're always looking at how can we enhance access for our people, particularly the underserved. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about how you guys address that. Yeah. So again, we break down that that perspective that that hospitals and, and healthcare should be facility centric. And so I'll give you an example of, of uh, really uh, pushing the care to where the patients are. Uh, one of the services that we offer school districts is outbreak prevention. You're just on the news, uh, we we're just on the news last week uh, down in San Diego. They're having a big outbreak, and um, so ABC 10 uh, aired a clip on what we're doing there. We operate in in that in that school district, running a model that we call Care Cards. And so we noticed in our in our testing days that a lot of uh, you know clinics are testing resources even though they were on school campus, they still had a central location where kids had to be pulled out of class and kind of marched down to the testing location, whether that was a nurse's office or somewhere out in the parking lot or something like that. So they were missing 30, 45 minutes of class to get a test. Well, we run these care carts and we uh, put a medical team on a cart with wheels and they go around to the classes and they have a schedule and they run a rotating basis where they'll knock on the door anybody with suspected exposure or symptoms, anybody can just pop out for one to two to three minutes into the hallway, get a test, pop back in class. And then we have a pretty good grasp of outbreaks during this, uh, throughout the school. Uh, we can test for all kinds of different things. And so really pushing the care out to where the, the individuals are is a big part of what we do. Um, you, you think of you know, the innovation that's taking place to, if you're hungry, you know, at, at night, you can get a, a donut delivered to your door, you know, at 10 o'clock at night. And, and you know, if, 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 if we care that much, you know, about getting food conveniently to you, we can do a better job of getting care conveniently to people. Um, and so that's, that's, that's one example of what we do through that care cart program, that outbreak prevention program. That's really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can only imagine what my kids would have done if somebody knocked on the door, hey, come out here and get a test. So uh, assuming it's not just COVID, are we talking flu? Can we mm -hmm. talk measles? I mean, you know, I've been a part of, of schools that have had measles out. Yeah. 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 Our, our uh, So we partner campus clinic sits in the middle and provides professional management services to clinical service providers. So those would be physicians and clinical licensed healthcare providers and diagnostic laboratories. And so our laboratory partners have broad menus of services that are there to help these providers 
make the right decisions and have access to um, to diagnostic tests that might be relevant for the the patients in the school district. So that that's everything from you know COVID to flu, A, B, RSV, strep, name it. Man, that's fascinating. Love that. So so let's talk about boosting mental wellness initiatives. I mean, we're all we all see the mental health crisis that our country is going through. I mean, we see that each and every day coming through our emergency department here at my hospital. Uh, you know, even even in our in our community that's you know relatively you know somewhat affluent. You know, you look out on the streets and we have we have uh, the homeless population. We have the the you know we just we have that here even in Waco, Texas. So, how are you partnering with your school districts? to address mental health, not only for the students, I'm assuming also for the educators and, and, and the students' families as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we're seeing the tremendous impact that living through a pandemic had on people, on a society. And in some cases, it's bringing pre-existing conditions to the forefront. And in some cases, it's creating these conditions. And we don't fully understand that. I don't think society fully comprehends the connection here, but everybody sees it. And there's been historically a stigma attached to seeking mental health services in certain um, communities and traditions and things like that. And uh, we, we believe in, in providing access to mental health resources where they're needed in a way that's, um, you know, as, as um, stigma free as possible. And so part of that is, is education. Um, and so one of the things that we're doing that we feel is a real value add is when you have these clinicians on school campus, um, one of the greatest opportunities is to align healthcare with education. And so one of the things that they do in their normal course of business, and this is something that we don't have a great mechanism to get paid for because we don't charge the district for it and we don't charge the patients for it, but it's our classroom education series. So 15 minutes of every provider's day is spent going into one different classroom that they haven't seen yet and standing in front of that classroom as a white, you know, a white coat, you know, destigmatizing that, that, that perception and, and our uh, providers are a little cooler than that. They don't wear the white coats typically. So, but they, they stand in front of that class and then they talk to them about healthy eating, getting outside, being active, being mindful, reducing screen time, um, having a healthy outlook. And, and, and that instruction uh, coming from that authority level figure um, for some of these kids is, is the only exposure to a, a provider that they've had in several years. Um, and so it starts with education. Education has the ability to increase awareness, uh, destigmatize, uh, create familiarity with this, you know, this healthcare system, instill trust and confidence. Um, and it's a great way of giving back. Um, so that's our education. But beyond that, we believe that universal screenings are critically important. Universal screenings for anxiety and depression should be done for every kiddo every year. Um, the Preventative Task Force Services has now kind of codified the fact that an anxiety screener should be done for every kid ages eight and, eight and above every single year, and depression screener for every kid ages 12 and above every single year. And so uh, what we do is we offer school districts the ability to screen and survey their kiddos uh, with universal screening tools that they can survey based tools that they can administer during five or 10 minutes of a class. 
few times a year if they want to. And that allows the school districts to identify opportunities um, to provide services through the school district and through the licensed clinicians. So uh, at many of our school districts, they're administering universal screeners where every kid can get a screener for anxiety and depression um, at no cost to the family and also uh, for, for potential self-harm. And the reason that this is critically important is because the traditional approach to mental health care is when you see an outward expression of a problem, that's when you act on it. And so that manifests as academic decline, behavioral issues, all kinds of things that are visible. But we know that a lot of these kids are suffering in silence. The, the, the behavioral issues aren't readily apparent. And so we now have thousands and thousands of data points from doing these universal screeners where we know kind of what's happening in these kids' heads and in these schools. And we can identify, we've seen about 17% of kids over the last two weeks have considered self-harm. And we can identify those situations even when the symptoms aren't readily apparent. And then we can start to provide services. And so education first and foremost, universal education for everybody about these situations and giving them some resources that they can use. Universal screenings to help identify the kids that may be suffering in silence. And there are a robust response and outreach team that we have where we start reaching out to families to offer them services, to connect them with providers, to make sure that they're taken care of, to make sure that they are aware of these situations and that they have something in place that's not only to address the situation, but to address the situation in a way that's barrier and obstacle free. So they can see it via telehealth if it's more convenient, on campus if it's more convenient, whatever it is that reduces those barriers so that they can get the care that they need. And we believe that as a whole, if we do this, um, you know, if we address this situation universally, making it readily available and without stigma, that's where you'll truly see the, uh, the impact on the society, on the community uh, for this issue. Well, you did a great job talking about the, the uh, student aspect. What about the educator aspect? What do you guys do for, for those teachers who, you know, kind of like in healthcare with, with our providers, you know, the pandemic has, you know, if you can isolate two industries that the pandemic has affected the most, I'd say definitely healthcare and education. Mm -hmm. I would agree with you. Yeah, my mom's an administrator and my wow. sister's uh, one's uh, uh, an NP and the other's an RN. So, um, so yeah, we have the exposure on both fronts and we've seen um, a significant increase in burnout resulting in uh, attrition and, uh, and staffing shortages. And so you see significant turnover. And, and what happened is it, it kind of reached a boiling point at one of our districts where a superintendent um, said, we need to do something about this. They had three principals quit in the last month. And they reached out to us and said, what can you do to help us with this? Um, behavioral issues are at an all time high and our administrators have more on their plate than they've ever had before. You know, during the pandemic, you're asking, uh, you know, administrators to act as healthcare providers and all sorts of things and, and, and giving them more and more during a time where they have less and less in the tank. And, and, and of course, it's going to boil over and it has. And so people are kind of at their wits end with this. And so the district asked us to create a solution. So that's how we built this staff burnout prevention or the staff resiliency platform that we now offer to our school districts 
where uh, we offer four tiers of support for these individuals and the unions love us because it's anonymous. So a staff member can get involved and they don't have their data shared back to the district, but the district knows they're being taken care of. And so it's an anonymous platform where they can get involved through four tiers of support, self-assessment where they understand what's going on and what's what they're dealing with. They can see, you know, it, am I dealing with um, an, an out-of-balance work-life uh, dynamic? Am I dealing with potential anxiety or depression? Am I dealing with uh, lack of job satisfaction resulting from some kind of contributing factor there? So they self-assess. Level two, they have self-guided coursework, video series, and modules where they can spend some time to take care of themselves, to be mindful, to learn. Um, a self-help platform that that is kind of the peloton of mental wellness we like to call it and so that's that 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 coursework that video series tier three where they can asynchronously collaborate with a coach or a provider to get feedback and support through our messaging platform and then tier four where they can get that one-on-one support that individualized support through a therapeutic approach with a provider Okay, well, the, the third point you kind of touched on is preventing the school-based uh, outbreaks. Uh, but, you know, let's go beyond that. Yeah, w- within what you're doing currently, how do you integrate telehealth into that? Because you said, you know, to, to make sure that you have, you know, economies of scale, that you've got your providers rotating through, through some of the, the district schools. But do you integrate telehealth into that uh, equation as well? Yeah, we do. And we do it in what I think is one of the more innovative ways possible. Um, We integrate telehealth not only for the patient to access the provider, but for the parent to access the patient and the provider from their work. And so we, we use telehealth in a number of different ways. One is just just to create another access point, another barrier-free way for them to access healthcare. It's critically important that we have telehealth available throughout the day and night and whenever. Um, but also, and, and we've used this very successfully, a provider or a therapist may be meeting with a patient on school campus and we've got mom or dad out at work, but they can take five, 10 minutes, they can hop onto this call and are meeting with them. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah. You know, uh, again, you know, going back to the original, you know, talking about it, providing greater access. You know, I know that was always frustrating for, for me as a parent and certainly for, for my parents, you know, whenever I was in school, you know, if I was sick, you know, having to take off work and all of that, you know, that, that's a great solution. Okay. Something has kind of popped in my head. I'm, I'm kind of curious about, okay. So, so, uh, you know, uh, I'm a student at one of your school, uh, at one of your schools, your provider is there. Hey, I don't feel well. I come into the clinic and you say, you know what? I mean, are, are you then kind of treated like the traditional, uh, school nurse? Okay. You know, Hey, you know, little Kevin had to come in. You call the parents. Hey, you do have to, you really should come and pick him up. How, how does that happen? You know, do you have an observation unit there or what? Yeah, sorry, and then cut out for just a second there, Kevin. I lost, yeah. I lost you. Um, you were asking, okay. so how, how, you know, how do we I, I create the opportunity for the patient on school campus to see that provider? So essentially, we have a couple of different ways. One is as simple as the kid being able to go and just see that provider during their rounds as they're available right there on campus. The other one is through our online platform. A parent book an appointment to see for their kid to see the provider during the time that they're there on campus. 
so you can pre-schedule or you can see it right right when you need it okay very good so so we kind of we kind of open with the financials let's let's kind of wind down with the financials you know your fourth platform is keeping costs low for uh, families and educators you know obviously you're you're you know you're billing insurance but what happens to those kids that are uninsured or underinsured? Yeah, well, part of our mission is to create barrier-free access to care. And that means we operate an all-commerce model. So in the situation where you've got someone without insurance or ability to pay, we're going to still see that patient. And we're going to make sure that they have a, a way to get that health care. So that's a fundamentally important component of our program is that we're an all-commerce model no matter what. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because you know, in 2022, research stated that 74% of Americans are stressed about their health insurance costs or just health costs in general. And so, yeah, I mean, I, you you look at you know where we are as a society now with 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 high inflation rates, underemployment, everything else. You know, there's nothing worse than than having that anxiety about not being able to take care of your child's yeah. health. And you know what? An important component of reducing the overall health care cost is getting ahead of these issues that can be prevented, prevented. And so by us getting out there and doing universal screenings for these kids, identifying situations where there might be inclination for self-harm or severe depression or anxiety or those types of things that can result in hospitalization and then tens of thousands of dollars later, um, you know, you're, you're surprised into those kinds of bills. Uh, if we can get ahead of it and really implement some, some common sense resource-based practices uh, that they can do some lifestyle-based approaches to, to getting ahead of this, you can reduce the overall cost burden on the patient and on the system in general. Absolutely. Well, hey, Thomas, if, you know, if a school district is interested in, in talking to you guys further about uh, bring your services to their campuses. How can yeah, they we'd love to have a conversation. They can find us at campusclinic.org or they can email us gethealthy at campusclinic.org. We'd love to help them out. And as one of my favorite uh, superintendent friends said, if you've seen one district, you've seen one district. And so we're aware of that dynamic. Every situation's different. We custom fit your healthcare solution to meet the needs of your school district and the populations that you represent. So um, no issue is, is too complex for us to try to solve. Well, that's just fantastic. Thomas Schaefer, president of Campus Clinic. Thank, thanks for joining me on I Don't Care today. It's been just great talking to you. Again, when, when two of my worlds collide, you know, it just makes the conversation even more interesting. So. Uh, thanks again. Look forward to talking to you again in the future. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for the work you do. Oh, thank you. Hey, folks, we you just heard it, another episode of I Don't Care. Thanks so much for joining us today, and we'll see you again next time. Take care. <laughs>